0: bad The whole The whole What's up
1: Everybody, this is Dominic D'Angelo of SeScoops.com and several other outlets, whatever. But I am live, live here today on the Rob's YouTube channel, RVD's YouTube channel. Guess who is here for episode 33? It is Rob Van Dam. Rob, who are you, my dude?
2: Man, that is always the safe guess. I noticed, I noticed like the last three weeks in a row, that's the line is guess who's here? Guess who's. Come to dinner. Come to dinner. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. Um, Almost New Year's Eve, which is also Katie's birthday. Um, Really? Yes, sir. You didn't know that? No, I did not know that. Every year. So uh, uh, my birthday is one week before Christmas, then it's Christmas, then one week later is uh katie's birthday and now that we have d here uh katie is two weeks after me and then d's birthday is two weeks after katie's it just doesn't stop
1: it keeps going yeah it keeps going festive well, season are you guys the same uh zodiac sign or whatever it is
2: uh no i guess the i don't know where the cutoffs are yeah. but they're between us Oh, yeah, okay. wow. Sagittarius, and I don't know what she is. She's something else. They both are, I guess. Uh, Capricorn, maybe, but I couldn't. I w- don't don't put no money on that. You know, look okay. it up, ask Google or Siri or someone with credibility like them too. <laughs> I will <won't laughs> any,
1: any bets on it. <laughs> 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 so hey, uh, maybe we can figure out who our special get what our special guest uh, zodiac sign is here coming up. Uh, Rob, yeah. You know, yeah, you know,
2: yeah, man. So. Uh, uh, called my my friend, or texted him uh, from Back Row Studios, movie creator extraordinaire, and co-creator of the hit classic documentary "Headstrong," Joseph Clarky, Joseph Clarky Butterfucco. <laughs>
3: That's the yeah. best intro I've ever received in my life.
2: Hey, good man. <laughs> I was aiming. I was aiming high. I do everything high.
3: <laughs> you hit it. Thanks, guys, for having oh, me. Fan, yeah. fan of the pod. Thank you for
2: doing it. get me. your birth sign, man? Yeah, what's your
3: sign? I'm a Taurus, bro. I'm a Taurus. Okay, I'm is that
2: April? April, May?
3: April, May. That means I'm stubborn. That's what the girls on Bumble oh. tell me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey is that is that the uh platform that we have our show on Oh, that was rumble never mind oh rumble. yeah we're on rumble yeah. too <laughs> that's different right
3: yeah yeah that's that completely different a bumble would be a good uh, platform to broadcast this on though let's right. do it
2: joe help us out man because right now we have uh 32 um s- subscribers and half of them watch and then half watch later so there's 16
1: people watching instead too but
2: they're important people i mean uh, when i get the messages and they say dude thank you for what you do for being so honest um you know especially like last uh, week we did a pretty heavy man i already put a filter in and and that's why my that's why i can't shake the weed out to put the filter in there's already a filter in there oh my god I'm so embarrassed. Um, but we talked uh, about some heavy shit last week uh, with, uh, well, we talked about uh, mental health.
3: I watched that.
2: You you, know, you got to watch what you said? No, we watched,
3: watched it.
2: Well, you did watch it. So, yeah. I, I, you know, the feedback I get from that, just like, I don't even know how you could weigh something like that. It means a lot just to have people that tell me, you know, like, they, hey, I really needed to hear that. I didn't know I needed to hear it. But or, or whatever, you know, just knowing that it, and that's why, like I said, when I started that, it's like, you know, sometimes when you can say something and maybe it could help somebody else, you know, uh, you just do it. So that's really rewarding, you know, and I talked about last week, got uh, pretty personal, you know, talked about, you know, fucking uh, um, antidepressants, you know, and, and did
3: you know, going in that you were gonna discuss that or get that personal or go that deep, or did it just kind of uh, happen?
2: I, I honestly don't remember. And it goes both ways. Goes both ways on the show, you know. Mm-hmm. Um like I have an idea of where, what I want to talk about uh tonight, and it's and it's you know, it's actually uh and it's related to this, you know. Uh people I, people and I just sent a tweet also that said to anyone that's struggling, you know, uh this virtual strength is for you with some biceps. Whoa! Holy yeah, God.
3: dude.
2: Dude, what the yeah, fuck? He- Uh, um, But anyway, you know, people saying uh, that they're struggling and some of them got descriptive about what their situation is. And it's like, dude, it's obvious that a lot of other people are struggling going through dark times and it seems to help just to know that you're not alone because it's something that you feel very alone with when you're going through it because people don't seem to understand around you but are people that are out there whether they're right next to you or not you know
3: and did, did you plan for the podcast to kind of be a platform for that openness or has it just evolved um as just an outlet for that
2: well you know i was doing the RV theologies on my youtube anyway and mm-hmm. then i think uh i think i just i think it was just natural to uh maybe do a short version of it i'm here i can't really remember uh you, you wanted to incorporate it early on all right, okay yeah because you, you know i mean but that is me i'm i mean people come to me advice for advice i mean uh lots of times all the time and you know and by the way r.i.p petrie cancer overtook her
0: mm. so, well,
2: I'm yeah. day was yeah, that? So, so emotions have been all over the place. So that's another reason, you know, to uh, to connect with people that are um, also going through times like, man, especially around the holidays. Because you see everyone else is like so happy and you feel like, man, how come I'm not happy like that? Or, uh, or like I said before, the days are darker and they're colder and they're fucking... Uh, Yeah, we miss Petrie, so that one's heavy, but um,
3: I'm really glad.
2: And I've said always, you know, I find holidays to be disruptive, you know, personally, you know, I kind of like the routine uh, of what's going on and shit. Um, But, um, you know, I wanted to mention that about Petrie. Barbie's running around a little confused, but, you know, so far it's just her now here. She'll probably make the show while she's sleeping right now. but so yeah, you know so like um, there's I whew, watch it on YouTube you know, I get on YouTube and I'm looking at the fucking um, the the local news and shit and so check this out there's there's a, a two brothers, one of them's 14 years old, the other one I think is 16 or 15 I don't know, and they're fighting over a fucking uh, Christmas gift. Um, they, who the mom spent more on this guy than this guy, and they're fighting over it. And then the sister, who's an adult, clearly she comes in, and she's trying to break it up. The 14 year old shoots the sister, and then the other brother shoots the 14 year old. <laughs> I
3: heard about this story. <laughs> oh my
2: god, dude. It's, 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 right? oh, man, there's so much grief, you know, for everyone to deal with, and then there's shit like that. And then you probably also saw the murder, suicide, uh. That guy, I think he was an ex-cop, and it was his wife. He sh- And someone else, some other lady, was it? Could have been her mom. I don't know. Um, but mm, or it's just, you know, like that's uh, uh it, it, one, one formula that I like to use uh, whenever I'm feeling uh, bad and I need to kick out uh, is uh, I always try to remind myself, man, it could always be worse. You know? And, and if you can't imagine it being worse, then you're pretty fucked mm-hmm. because... You know, you could be you could be knee deep in fucking, uh, you know, hot lava with fucking Satan poking his pitchfork at your asshole. <laughs> well, uh, Robin, yeah. I was going
3: to ask you, you know, like, he, I know you were kind of going through it and I apologize to hear about Petrie. You know? yeah. she, she was an awesome dog and everything. Yeah. But you told me the other night you were going to go see the Iron Claw and I was like, Well, in a weird, bizarre way, like that actually might not be the worst thing because like that's such a depressing story that it might like get some perspective for Rob. But do you want to, would you, what do you want to share what you kind of felt about the movie at all? Not to put, I'm like playing. I I
2: wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't uh, because I don't want to, be rude to the movie makers, but I walked out.
0: Really, mm-hmm. so I wasn't
2: gonna say that because I'll give it another try. But it was too depressing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: At that time, I wasn't in the right state of mind to watch it. And like after the second brother died, I was like, yeah, all right, I got it. But up until that point, first off, Zach fucking Efron, huge. It was so fucking Jack, um, and 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 they did a good job, you know, acting or whatever. I thought like you had to be a big wrestling fan or else you wouldn't understand any of it. It just seemed to move so fast Mm. um, from well-known shows to cameos, actors, you know, playing the, the cameos of well-known wrestlers. And I just thought like, like, wow, like I, I'm gonna see this typed out. Like, wow, like somehow that's gonna be in my transcript. I see that like in the shorts. Like it'll write it'll oh, write yeah, up, the shorts do that. Oh, I was like, wow, man, like wow, <laughs> couldn't. It... <laughs> uh anyway, I thought that it moved really fast and it would have been challenging for people to understand. It was kind of challenging for me to understand it because I was still waiting. But but again, I, I'm gonna give it another chance, so I don't wanna <laughs> I don't want to, you know, put any negative energy out there.
1: At the very, what'd you think, uh, Chavo, as as the sheik? You know, I didn't even see that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I I understand that though, especially what you're going through at the moment. It's like compounding on top of it it's like it's a lot it's a lot uh Jill, what did you think of everyone's that?
2: going through some shit though you know so i don't want to uh dwell on that but we will get back to uh some hopefully advice i can give some other people that you know just like always can well uh, you control. know
3: from an outsider standpoint it was kind of interesting because i so i'm in vegas for a little bit and i got here a couple weeks ago and um you know, Rob told me that Petrie is pretty sick and we kind of had this impromptu um, ceremonious goodbye to her with like some of Rob's close friends. And it was kind of this beautiful night where we I got all Petrie's
2: close friends,
3: really cool exchange. And it was um, it was a really powerful moment in a lot of ways. And like it put, you know, some perspective of where I'm at in my life. And so uh really sad situation overall but I thought that night was really cool to share yeah, that
2: with you. I did too. And 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 so we did that because the emergency room had told us to expect about two days and that was like uh two or three days before Thanksgiving and she made it you know until just uh uh I guess December twenty third. So so we got a lot of extra time out of her and and then you know it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't Keeping her alive while she was, you know, suffering so bad that it was torturous. You know, she was still like Katie was in Australia when the vet gave us that news. And then Mm -hmm. and then when Katie came back, you perked up like she had stopped eating. She started eating again and stuff and then slowly declined from there to the point, you know, where we had to say goodbye. It's a it's a really rough thing to do um but it's kind of like when my dad went it's you know just knowing that their body was so sick and had given out they were ready to go there's there's a lot of um comfort to that over someone young getting their life stolen robbed from them you know Mm -hmm.
1: yeah it's always tough though yeah i'm rob i'm like really sorry to hear it too and you know it's never easy no matter how old the pet is or anything like that too it's it's tough to deal with.
2: <laughs> but but speaking of that thing back there, bro, um, you know, I had a birthday a couple of weeks ago and I uh, posted my pictures up on Instagram. And uh, it was one of those posts where I just got like way more uh, feedback than I normally do, you know, and, uh, and from a lot of people, too. And everyone put it over like, wow, show, them the, show show us the photos, Dom, can you? All right. Yeah, I can show
1: it. Chris, if you know, I, I'll do it for now, Chris, but- uh, YouTube Chris is not helping us out today, Okay, like um, but uh, I will- but yeah,
2: so anyway, um, every year, couple days, there you go.
1: Look at that, you got your legs here, too, Rob. The quads, leg day, you don't miss leg day. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you know, miss- my, genetically, my legs are you
2: know way ahead of the rest of my body, so I'm just very fortunate there because uh. Um, I, I, I try to spend more time on the rest because I have to,
0: you know, to try to get
2: the rest to catch up or whatever. So so I actually don't, uh, actually like do, do leg days as often as people would would think, but I do work on just, you know, like doing steps on boxes on, you know, box steps all the time. I do a lot of that shit, but anyway, um,
3: also that picture of me and Rob just photoshopped his face on it
2: yeah <laughs> oh no
1: oh, that was you how
2: about that yeah. someone asked me about carb deleting before the photos or whatever. i don't know how to do any of that i don't even know how to pose which people probably think is funny they probably think everybody that works out in the gym knows how to pose but a bodybuilder brian cage will tell you there's certain ways to pose and angles and different uh anyway you know that's something that like i I'm not uh, – we're not all the same, man, and and, uh, and I'm not a head in that way. Like I said before, you could take the mirrors out of my house. I'd be okay with that. Katie, on the other hand, I don't think she would uh, – I don't think she'd go with that. She likes to spend a lot of time. But I would too if I looked like her. I'd be You're right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Lena asked, I just did leg day today. How many times a week do you do leg day, Rob? Huh, honestly, uh, so
2: counting – I you know I do the the um the um bob Backlund 300 rep box steps in my sauna um and and, and that um that blows my legs up you know it's like uh, up uh you know up step down step up step down step you know, left, down, left, left, left. And anyway, but I'll, but i I'll, I'll run it. I control the speed, change it, however I want to put into it. And um, that has uh, made my legs like really vascular. And uh, and that's that's mostly what I do. And I do actual like uh, legs, probably. And this has been for years, probably like once every three months really not a purpose it's just it's it's the, it's what i put off it's what i put off because i can because my legs are jacked and and and, and strong and so like uh, uh i used to like uh i used to do the other body parts twice for every one time i would do legs and that's how i learned to lift and you know was uh, learning to power lift and add all the weight on, and used to squat uh, 405 for 12 reps every, uh, you know, once every week uh, in the in the gym, and um, and then uh, it, and then just you know like eventually when I got to skip a day because I'm traveling or whatever, it would always always be legs, and so it still is, you know, like I get to where I'm like, man, I gotta do legs pretty soon, but I might say that for weeks until I actually get in there and uh, and do it. Do it.
0: But,
2: but again, you know. I do the uh, you know kicking or maybe on the treadmill or whatever that that all keeps my legs busy. If I could walk on my hands all day, my my arms would be thick as fuck too. That's right,
3: you got the <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to do a sauna workout with you, Rob. That's what I'm trying to get at.
2: Cool. Yeah, I love it. It's it's way it, it's way more intense than than uh, than the gym for me now. Like like that's the like I usually do that afterwards. You know, I'll, I'll lift weights, do abs. Uh, Whatever, today I, I hit, um, did some uh, punches and kicks on my um, Nexorcist. The fucking thing is still working. I can't believe it's still working. But anyway, then I went out to the sauna, and, man, just like – you know just like really like going fast as i could 120 degree weather was making myself almost throw up today not not weather but inside it's 120 degrees if you pour water on the rocks then of course your skin burns and it hurts to breathe in and um it, but it but overall i love it and i'm sweating before my matches i will go in there and and stretch in the sauna as well at least i started doing that the last one or two matches and uh um, it's a little different cause normally, um, the floor is too dirty for me to want to do that, but I'll clean it up and throw some towels down, uh, when I got a match coming up.
3: Are you, are you doing any music in the background or are you just going? No, I don't need music. he doesn't yeah. need music.
1: <laughs> you don't do music. <laughs> VBBC, Venus beach dub club. Thank you for the $20. He said, I just oh. want to say RVDology has been making me a cooler dude since the RVD TV days. Awesome. A year later, I found the Stoics and the Hermetic philosophers, and was like, "Hey, I've heard of this before from RVD. You think yes. you're just sensitive to it?
2: Um, what is that what, sensitive to it? I'm not really sure how to take that question.
1: Vbdc, uh, if you want to just uh, chime in again, you don't have to pay again. Obviously, just we'll we'll put out. Uh, yeah, watch Chris
2: comments. I'm not really sure what what he means. Am I? Am I sensitive? I'm sensitive to everything. I'm energy sensitive. So I notice. Uh, So I noticed things, but I don't think that's what he's asking. But, um, you know, um, Joe and I did the documentary Headstrong, which if you haven't seen it, we did everything together. And I'm quite proud of the movie. Um, And it was going to be about me. On a stand-up comedy tour, but the concussion symptoms that I had kind of like took over, and it became a lot more about that, and really just that slice uh, of of my life that was going on, like in 2016, 17, maybe part of 18, I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, me and Joe are always trying to. Uh, well joe's got several other movies that he's done you know and you can talk about those joe but we always talk about projects like thought well, let's work together and and do something and, and and you know this venice beach uh dub club that just came up some synchronicity here because i wanted to ask ask you joe um because we're always talking about you know finding something we got ideas and stuff and i know you wanted to talk off camera about your recent idea but I thought of this what if I told you that there was a documentary that I worked on years ago that's like 90 to 95 percent done it's it's badass it never quite got finished uh, and it's about the only marijuana dispensary ever on Venice Beach my okay. friend, Wow. My friend, yeah, my friend, he's got everything recorded. Him looking for locations way back before I even met him, and then him opening up, and it's right by the Venice Beach Gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's that big building that used to be blue, now it's orange, but um, that was the Medical Coos Beach Club, and then he had a second location that was down the ways a little bit, and uh, he owned the fucking boardwalk, and I and that was my hangout for. A couple, a couple of years anyway, 2010, 2011, 2009, uh, I, a lot of times anyway, I would ride my bike down there, and then I'd be smoking, looking out the window over the gym and at the beach. We would go walk down to the other location, do the same thing, watch the sun go down. We actually had a reality show that we were pitching for a while. We pitched it to Showtime, I think MTV, and it was um, Jason Hervey and Eric Bischoff were producers oh. on it. Oh, wow. And- yeah, I still got the trailer, actually, for it. But, but they made Bashan, the owner, my friend, the reason the movie never got finished. Uh, he's a little crazy. And and, <laughs> and Herbie wanted to capitalize that on that to the extent to where it really didn't look good like it it wouldn't have been a a responsible representation of the marijuana business and Mm -hmm. and looking at the big picture i see that now because he was always about controversy cells you know and conflict and say yeah i know but we got so much cool stuff going on because you know there'd be famous people come in there and he had the uh dab bar like an actual bar where everyone's doing dabs and stuff and anyway I just been thinking about this and I was just thinking today Joe. I wonder if I talked to uh to Sean Cush, Cushinator. He also did my music by the oh, way. Oh but yeah
3: though. he has headstrong music doesn't he
2: there? Yeah he did a lot of the soundtrack in headstrong too yeah <laughs> I was thinking like I wonder since no one's doing anything with it I wonder if he would let me have that to finish it. Uh
3: yeah we could take a look at the footage.
2: It's it's so it's the opening of it, it's the growing of it it's the laws changing. It's him as an advocate and what he's doing as a big part of the culture there and then the bust and and it all comes down comes tumbling down he gets raided and uh, and all of it he's got all of it on film tommy chong's in it rbg um a lot of uh like i said a lot of sledders have come through there and stuff and and um he ended up i went to to support him in the court and he ended up winning his case uh the whole bus was bullshit because he did everything by the book and they were trying to prove that he did something illegal which should make everything illegal and and they were not able to prove it and the jury ruled in his favor but by that time he's out over a half a million dollars his place has been closed they had stolen his car boom all kinds of shit so they just leave you you know like okay here enjoy what's left of your life even though they were in the wrong, so it's really fucked up. And 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 I thought that we had a really good doc uh, going that captured the story.
3: Yeah, maybe let's uh, talk to him see if we can see some of the footage. Yeah,
2: I believe I have it somewhere. I think I have maybe the whole thing. Also, do you know if-
3: I do um, weird. You mentioned that. Speaking of synchronicity, I I remember listening to a, an Eric Bischoff podcast, and he told he told a story about how he went to Venice beach just to visit one day and he heard someone calling his name and it was you yeah. from say <laughs> so like, Eric, come up here. And he said, he like went up there and hung out and stuff. <laughs> like that.
2: That's probably the, um, the, the first day that we probably talked about the idea or something. I don't, I don't know that for sure, you know, but I, it, it might've been though, but him and Herbie both, they were just like, we went in the RVD business, whatever it is. So I, remember they, I, remember, I remember they said that because it's like, wow, that sounds cool. Let's do something. But, of course, we ended up not doing anything.
1: <laughs>
2: that's Hollywood.
1: That's that's showbiz. That's showbiz. <laughs> Venus Beach did add some clarity. He's like, like, where do you get these insights everyone else has to read in a book? So I think he's kind of indicating, like, where do you kind of get the motivation to, like, kind of what you read, how you select to read, and then, like, convey it to people, I guess.
2: I think what he's saying is, how do I know stuff that other people have to read books to find out? Uh, Okay. Okay. That's how I'm going to take it. And I also, you know, have have read books. I mean, especially when I first had what I'll call um, an awakening, for lack of a better term, which was about when I left WWE because I was burnt out and I felt like life was monotonous and my spirit was weak and that was 2007 maybe 6 i think 7 i think 6 i <laughs> think it was 2006 um and, and you know i went on a, a bit of a sabbatical you know to to try to find myself and to try to grow my spirit and i it, it was it was so life changing that i you know i look at everything before that is is like a um, a lesser mature version of me, like my outlook, my perspective of the whole world, the universe, my relationship with it, was such a young kid's perspective. My obligations, uh, just how I felt as part of the whole, which is all of us. Um, that all changed, and, and it started with some some books, and then. Uh, you know, I've mentioned the celestine prophecy, I've mentioned the secret, I've mentioned um the four agreements, um what else did we talk about? Um And and anyway, even with just those, like right away, I started finding other people that had read the same books and they were enlightened in the same way that I was, especially the Celestine prophecy. Like, you know, everyone that I, and it seemed like everybody that I talked to that had read that book said that somebody gave them that book. And I'm like, me too. Like somebody, (laughs) I was talking about synchronicities to a dude and the dude, and the dude, and I kept bringing, bringing it up, and the guy said, Rob. I think I'm supposed to give you this book that's in my car. Like, I, I I just wanted to get one, but I got two, you know, and happened to have one. And that's what the book is about, about how all that shit happens. And that's how energy, you know, j- j- moves. And, and it's awesome. So anyway, that was very influential on me. And then I understood it and I lived it. And I still do. So, um, I, what do
3: you think of the enlightening? It, it, was there, is it the burnout moment of when the enlightening comes or like, how did you tap in where it like opened up that new, that new perspective?
2: Well, it, I, okay. So it's always, always, always through awareness. That's it. That's it. As soon as you have awareness, you have a doorway to, to go through, to change. It's that fucking simple because once you become aware then you'll notice it start, you'll notice it's it's it happens more often and you never noticed that before and then you're like wow, it's a much bigger part of my day and then eventually it runs your day and and it's really all about awareness so first you have to understand and realize, what we're talking about and then and then it's awareness you know like if if we talk about how people try to intimidate you to get your energy and we talk about that to a point to where it's like let's try to stop people from doing that start being uh becoming aware of when people say hey or something like that you know and get you to force and look i don't look I won't look like I, they, they, I'll be walking on the sidewalk, riding my bike, driving my car, no matter whatever. If someone's like, Hey, I know sell it every fucking time. Katie's had to whip right around. Like she's curious and she loves drama anyway. I know sell fights when I walk right by them, but, um, but that's just the, it's something that like, after becoming aware, um, then awareness affects change
1: that's interesting yeah guys uh celestial prophecy that people are asking about it in the chat so have you read it i haven't read it yet i i cracked open uh the first chapter here but i gotta gotta tell you the
2: first chapter is pretty rough and yeah but <laughs> uh, it, it really is it's almost like i almost want to tell people to skip by it i got scotty riggs the book and i he he might have given up i haven't talked to him about it in a while but it's like Man, the first part to get the story the story going, you got to go through a bunch of bullshit because it's an actual fictional story, but it contains like uh, nine insights towards spiritual ascension. And when you read it, it reads as very true to those of us that are like minded. Like when it talks about energy and it talks about synchronicities, and and you go through all of these from you know uh, the the fourth insight to the fifth insight, and all of these, you start. You accept that as truth, even though it's a fictional book about a guy that goes to Peru in search of this manuscript that contains all of these insights. So the guy, he's got his adventures, he's discovering these insights, and so you go through his pathway. But you're also learning at the same time. And after uh, the Celestine Prophecy, there's non-fictional study guides to go along with it, for that reason, because everybody, you know, that read this story um, got a lot out of it and were, and were able to, to better their lives and so now there's there's a book on the 10th and uh, uh, I think up to 12 insights and there's a non the non uh, fiction study guide where you go through and you and you go through all the insights and and apply them towards your life and it's it, it's a really cool thing and uh, like I said uh, after reading that I just see everything as energy which it is you know you look under a microscope everything looks the same it's all just a bunch of little moving around molecules you know so uh so i my perspective of this this big pool of energy that we're all part of it, it changed to where i i get i accept like we're all we're all in this you know whether we're talking about the air or the water or the ground they're all just different molecules that are Uh, grouped together through vibrations, but really it's all like a big pool. And we use our senses and that proves it to me. You know, I go out there today in the sun and I'm like, I feel the warmth of the sun. How far away is the fucking sun? But I actually feel it. I feel the heat because the sun is dissipated to that point, but it still reaches me. And we all dissipate and add to the pool from our physical selves and that's something that people have to get their head around but um it explains like so much and and once you once you see it you see it and then you know you there's like a net or 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 whatever you want to call it that that everything is connected to um instantaneously you know so that's why like i could be thinking of a friend in japan and all of a sudden boom i get a text from him and i'm like whoa how did that happen like that quick and that's how it happens because everything everything's connected you know and Fuck, I picked up my phone to text Joe earlier and boom, he texted me right when I was about to text him. It's not like I, it's not like I text him every single day, but, but that kind of stuff, just being aware of it and, 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 and you know, me and Joe got to points where we document it and write it down and study it later and stuff like that. Those are different levels of awareness and effort put into recording it, you know, instead of just letting it blow, slide by, you know, and say, so, oh, what a coincidence because that's not even in the game.
3: Rob, can I ask you a a follow-up on that? Like but when when I think about when I think about wrestling, I think about energy in a lot of ways. And like if you when you're performing, let's say in front of like an ECW crowd where there's an energy exchange that is very intense, either between the wrestlers or between you and the crowd, do you consider yourself like able? Can you control that energy or manipulate it as like a conduit? Or how can you relate it to you as a performer? Because obviously, like, for something like that, I feel like it's, that's part of the adrenaline of wrestling is, like, the intensity of that energy exchange. Can you talk to that at all? Man, I, I,
2: I'm I not sure I understand what
3: you're really, asking. I'm, trying I'm, trying. Saying, I'm not really being clear very on the question. I guess I just, when, I, I, I can relate to you when you talk about that energy, and I, like, Everything,
2: but I, but I mean everything's energy. So when you say that energy, I'm not really sure what you're talking about already.
3: I feel like um, with a crowd, the in, the energy is more intense. And, okay. Um, I guess as you as a as a performer, does that mean do you have uh, as your awareness of energy? Do you have more control over energy, or do you know how to like read energy, or? um do you relate it at all i guess to your wrestling um I...
2: If I get what you're saying, uh, the answer is yes, but you don't have to be um, an energy ninja in in order to, in order. I mean, that's just part of the job as a performer, you know, especially a live performance like wrestling. Like you notice when the crowd is quiet or when they're really behind it, Um, you notice, you know, when they're intense. So that's just part of the job. So um, that's, that's, Part of the uh, awareness, I guess. I guess I never really thought of it. Maybe that's what you're doing—is you're making me connect that and, and see that that's a, kind of like the same way in a bigger, um, universally. Because like, like, for instance, I just was talking to somebody yesterday saying I'd wrestled in Korea one time, and the crowd was so easy to work with because they were so excited. All you had to do was like flex your shoulders, and and, and thousands of fans, were, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and because they didn't have wrestling live every week, you know, it was a very rare thing. Maybe they'd never had it. I doubt that. But anyway, I'm sure a lot of the fans had never been to live wrestling before. And mm-hmm. and so, it, for but all of us, that's part of our profession. You know, is to pick up on that. And uh, and then the one, the veterans, the ones that are better. You know, like, like John Cena could turn a crowd around. If they hate him, he can make them love him by the end of the uh, his promo. I've seen him do that in Wales and uh, a few places in the UK. And, um, and, and so, like, if I get what you're saying, that's part of the job. And so, yeah, you, you – you train yourself like that uh, in life, also to to be aware. So you were asking about the energy, and I feel like like you're talking about like the energy that the fans are are, are putting off, and uh, mm-hmm. and and so like in that respect, just to further explain what I was saying about the web of everything being energy. If I smell the fans from the ring, maybe mm-hmm. I smell maybe maybe they have popcorn, you know, whatever. But I'm that's actually between my nose and that actual fucking um, live (laughs) Colonel, whatever (laughs) the fuck it is, Colonel Redenbacher, um, that is dissipated energy to the point to where I can't feel it with Mm -hmm. my fingers, Mm -hmm. but I can see it and I can smell it. Maybe I can even taste it. And so everything is like that. And it's like, when you think about it like that, like you are – here with me right now just in such a dissipated form that you don't even know but but like whereas you think you're solid and, and that and that's that's really like an illusion i mean it's uh it, you you're you're only as solid as uh as the um as the vibration that that holds you together you know what i mean and, like I said, it, the microscope idea usually helps people understand it because you think your finger is solid. Mm-hmm. When you look at it; it's a whole bunch of little molecules moving around. And even those molecules, if you get something that can see the atom and the nucleus, and you know, and your electron and everything at the most minuscule level, that when you get to that level, mm-hmm. you, I don't think you even know the difference between air and 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 your body. You mm-hmm. know, water. I think at that point, it, it's just all the same.
3: That that's where my sensitivity has kicked up in recent years is being able to walk into a room and like sense that like in like a dark energy or someone's like really, really pissed off, or like you walk in a room and it's like, whoa, like something's off here. Yeah. You know, like you can almost see like the aura around someone where you know that they're giving off a vibration that's um something's really off, and it's like sucking stuff in, you know.
2: So, Absolutely. but so one thing just to point out, what you're talking about actually doesn't even use any of the five senses, it's it's yeah. something else, you know. I mean, it's oh, like oh. your common sense, it's your it's your observational sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm talking about like the dissipated energy that makes all of us connected, that's you know, like if it's right here, I can touch it and feel it can taste it if it's right here, if it's a little further away, maybe I can only smell it or I can see it. You know, you can see miles and miles and miles away, but that's actually a connection between what you're looking at, whether it's a mountain or a star Mm -hmm. or whatever, and your eye. But yeah, I just want to point that out, like what you're talking about, to be aware of that, you have to develop like a a, a sixth sense.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, everything goes back to, everything's potential, right? Like, it's uh, – that I feel like this is – we're getting into, like, quantum – I didn't anticipate us talking about quantum physics. No, today. right? <laughs> well, let's dive into it, I guess. Uh, well, the follow-up up on that. Everything's in too. an infinite field of potential, I guess. I guess.
1: All right, here's a super chat. Smiley Gardner goes in. RV, Mr. and RV I just want to know, when's the last time – when's the last you saw Sabu? How is he doing? Have you ever been in a barbed wire match? When's the last time you saw Sabu there, Rob? I saw um...
2: Um, downtown Las Vegas, and it was probably about a month ago. <clears throat> but I text him on the phone almost every day, and um, usually we talk like we're gonna get together, but we just hardly ever do, you know. Or he'll say, Hey, you want to go to the nerd tonight? And I'm like, Oh, no, not tonight. I'm just going to bed or whatever. And th- we, we do a lot of that, we keep in touch. He lives in town with me, uh, probably. 20 minutes away, maybe 25, just because there's some little neighborhoods you got to drive through slow. But, but, and nothing's more than 20 25 minutes here in Vegas anyway. But, um, that was the last time I saw him, was um, downtown, and um, I was actually there with uh, Katie and D uh for the gay pride parade <laughs> yeah. Yeah. how about that yeah they were rollerblading and i rode my bike i rode my bike to keep up with them just beside him there you go yay gays <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey.
1: well you mentioned john cena uh it's kind of funny that you did mention him because uh one of the notes i had today was did you hear what he said about your guys's match on uh, tiktok did you hear anything about this no, sir. Oh, okay. Let me pull it up then here. Let me find where it is. Um, here we go. Uh, so, let's see here. So, this is what he, uh, so apparently, what John does on TikTok, he'll kind of recap his matches or like talk, cover some of his matches that he had. Sure enough, uh, this week he talked about One Night Stand. So, here's his quote So, here's a moment that's probably most talked about in my career in WWE ECW One Night Stand. Hammerstein Ballroom against Rob Van Dam. We're at a championship match against Rob. And in an additional match against my T-shirt. When he threw the T-shirt and he got... (laughs) (laughs) Now, I knew this was... The the crowd was going to be hostile. But hostile doesn't even describe the atmosphere in the Hammerstein Ballroom. They love Rob and they hate me. This is probably the peak of polarization that would leak into WWE for years. (laughs) You (laughs) would hear the name John Cena. It was either he sucks or he's my guy. There was no one in the building saying he's my guy. Rob and I went back and forth, and you can kind of see of a non-virtuous side where I begin to push the boundaries of good and evil because I was trying everything, and it seemed like the world was against me. Indeed, it was. Rob's talent absolutely shows in this match, but the world right here is against me, and I'm speared through a table by Darth Vader, a.k.a. my arch nemesis, (laughs) Edge. Rob gets a championship moment, which is fantastic. And Edge and I go down to do some incredible things in WWE. What a night at Hammerstein Ballroom! No one will ever call ever call this to happen. How about that? So, well, how,
2: man, I, what, he, he how long is the fucking TikTok video? I was thinking they were all shorts. That's yeah, all I, are,
1: I know. Well, okay, they're up to ten minutes now. Oh, okay. But and I, he is he
2: he he's speaking like into the camera or what, he's speaking
1: or? into the camera and stuff. Oh. You know, yeah, so cool. covered it up. Uh, I'll set I'll if I can find it, I'll send it to you. And um, I guess yeah. Rob,
3: that that's kind of like what I was asking about is I, I I think I was talking about energy in a different way. Maybe I'm almost referring to it as electricity, but like that's the perfect example. Is that night is like? Can you describe from an energy from that standpoint of being in that position on that night to have all that be directed just right at you as like a lightning rod of energy, like can you still put yourself back in that place and feel what that was like in that moment and describe that feeling? Because I feel like that's something that less than 0.01% of people ever feel in a lifetime.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And even, you know, in my career, there's, that's only the only time ever. So 1%, or let's say way less than that. Not one out of a (laughs) hundred fucking one millionth percent of, uh, of my matches had that particular kind of energy. I don't know if I can describe it because, you know, to put myself back there, I had a whole different perspective of the world of the industry of myself, of my indestructibility of my excitement for ecw to be coming out and my ability to show everybody on the biggest stage there is my favorite style that before was so extreme that it couldn't be shown on such a big stage so i was really really stoked and and I've said, you know, I'm here before, like, I felt like I couldn't be beat. I felt like I couldn't get hurt. And, uh, and, and all those people, you know, were, they were all my people. So I felt, you know, like uh, I felt outstandingly excellent in a way that I felt better probably than, you know, those people's energy made me feel better, you know, for sure. Absolutely. They reassured to me that I was the whole effing show to them. They backed up, uh, every play that I've made up to that point in my career. And they were letting me know it right there with their fucking screams and their, their audible and visible support. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Rob, uh, so wanted to follow up too in the regards of John Cena being a baby face. And it's kind of funny too, because, uh, on a future episode of the road dogs podcast, we talk about being a baby face and I kind of wanted to get your perspective. Um, What did the Sheik and Shet Sabu kind of teach you initially about what conveys a good baby space face specifically, or did you learn it from somebody else about some of the key components to being a baby face?
2: hmm i i I feel like you know i was pretty much the baby face just because of the way that i looked so it was like kind of obvious i was going to be the baby face i was uh the the better looking one out of the group you know the four or five guys that we had it was a sabu and dango dango could go either way um but He's Vietnamese, and so he would be a heel to go against me, the Polish prince or whatever, on that night. And then there was Tom Bennett, uh big, big dude, Samson, that introduced me in a chic. And there's uh, Judge Dread, big, big dude from uh, Adrian, Michigan, nice guy. And, and that was it. That was a team that we had. But I was always, just because I was the – um like I said, I, I looked more like a baby face, but none of my training with the chic had anything to do with uh, engaging the crowd or, um, uh, yeah, that was picked up through being on the road, learning as you go, you know, with, with the chic, it was all about just grabbing each other, throwing each other down, trying to pin each other um, and, and, and never, ever breaking the the moment, you know, that you're, uh, that you're you're in a fight, you know, from from beginning to end, and um, and when he taught me, I always say it's obvious to me that guys don't have that in them uh, a- anymore. Uh, it's something that's easy for me to point out, uh, and that's all it was though. That was, I mean, they, he would have killed me if I would have started going like this to the ground and stuff. But <laughs> and then, and then, um, you know, my first few matches i'd have to make sure he wasn't around if i did that or if i did it i would expect to hear from him but um i remember him saying he thought only the champions should be able to flex he thought you know everyone did that too much um and, and if i ever like turned my back on any one of his guys to look at the crowd i would expect to get jumped or schoolboyed at least and um it was that it was that kind of intensity it was it was real we beat the shit out of each other we were trying to beat each other for hours and hours and hours in the ring and then uh, well about hours and hours and hours that would because hours has to be at least two so that would be two four six yeah sometimes but um Anyway, being on the road, then it gets really confusing because you get so much advice that contradicts other advice, and you start wondering like, fuck, who should I listen to? This guy said, get the crowd into it a little bit more. This guy said, you know, quit, quit worrying about the crowd, and this guy says that, and it was like, who do I listen to? It was, it was like that, and I think a what lot was
3: a of the moment when it flipped from. Um a shoot to where you're like wait a minute like we're not supposed to be shooting on each other right now like what's going on or uh, when, when were you like enlightened of what was supposed to be happening
2: so so we were big enough wrestling fans me and dango uh to to know that you know we had to we had to work together to an extent but we had to make a so much of a shoot that the, that the, that the, it would surpass the chic standard you know what i mean so so it was luck it was like we, there there wasn't any like feeding there wasn't any of this you're going to duck a clothesline so i'm going to throw it up at the stars just in case so if you don't duck i don't hit you in the nose i hate that i hate that and i see it every time i watch wrestling where you know they they the it's in it's the arts the golden arts clothesline it <laughs> <McDonald's. laughs> I fucking hate it. And just that little thing is enough to tell me that they weren't committed like I was. They weren't in the mindset. And I'm not saying that I was perfect, but when we were training, you know, we got trained to uh, to be in the moment so much that, that you know, I'm fucking, bam, I'm coming through with it. And, uh, and you better duck. And I did hurt a lot of people because of that, you know, um, especially when I was first starting out and. My first, you know, 10, 20 years. <laughs> um, but that was something that, you know, like we're we're not, you know, looking around to see, you know, where the X is for the for the mark for our next spot.
1: Mm-hmm. Rob, before I forget too, um, Smiley also asked, were you ever in a barbed wire match yourself?
2: Oh. P- n- no. Okay. Well, yes, I guess maybe with with with, with Abyss. That uh, that pay per view, um, I think it was called 10 10 10. Oh, that well, was the
1: personal No, he's he's gonna be in the chat here, so he'll let me know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Abyss had barbed wire rolled up on a piece of plywood. Um, that was part of the match, and we use it. I, I, I gave him a Rolling Thunder, I went over the top rope and, and put him through the barbed wire table that went from the apron to the guardrail. Boom. That that high spot is in Headstrong, the documentary, by the way, um, in the little punishment reel that, that's shown. Um, and, and so that is the only thing I've done besides coming out in the very famous Sabu and Terry Funk barbed wire match where I had gloves on and wire cutters and was cutting Sabu out of the rat's nest that him and Terry Funk had gotten into.
1: Holy shit. Yeah, Chris says it was the Monsters Ball match. So. That's what you guys had with the Abyss, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, so that barbed wire wasn't gimmicked, right? Or was there's no... Bad.
2: No, no. And my understanding is like what Sabu told me a long time ago, that sometimes they would gimmick like every other oh. knob, knob or whatever you call the thing, you know. And uh, um, just like I was, you know, I was taught that you make the... Uh, tight rope hard and solid. So when people come by and then feel the rope, they go, wow, that's what it's like. But you know, but but really that's never been the true the ropes are never tight enough for me. I'm always like, dude, this I need the top one tight like like the fucking bottom one. But um but yeah, Sabu would uh they would go and they would cut off some of the extra wire that was hanging that was poking out and leave some of it on. And then I guess thereby decreasing your chances of getting sliced open considerably. But I remember one time, and it could have been this mass with Terry Funk, I don't know, but I remember um, – I don't know for sure that I'm going to get the details on percent right on this, but the way I remember it, ECW, they sent some guys out to get some barbed wire. They went right to Home Depot got the fucking thickest shit, brought it back in, set it in, and nobody gimmicked it at all. And it might have been this match with Terry Funk, so everything was 100%
1: legit. Holy shit. Yeah, there's a Home Depot yeah. right by the ECW arena. Trevor
2: was like, he's done motherfuckers, you know, they brought the whole fucking thing in, and, and that's what I learned when he told me, you're supposed to do this, and I was like, oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rob, if the story did constitute for it, would you have done a barbed wire match?
2: Oh... Um... Uh, maybe, I guess. I don't know. If I, if I felt like doing it, I don't know. Yeah. Never thought about it. It's it's like getting a tattoo. Would I get a tattoo if I felt like getting a tattoo? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's like to feel like wanting one, one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: cool. Um, what I also wanted to follow up with, too, when with, with regards to John Cena, why do you think John Cena as a baby face? Now, specifically with One night stand, obviously, he was the hated guy there. But overall, during that time, you kind of mentioned it there. Moving on from that, he became really polarizing. Why do you think he was so polarizing at that time, Rob?
2: Because uh, he represented WWE and a certain era of WWE that wasn't the preferred style to the progressively um, aggressive growing wrestling crowd. You know, they were like ready for a change. ECW was so revolutionary. And then Cena represented uh what WWE forced down the fans throats at the time, at least that's how they saw it and said, Hey, we're the only show in town. So we're going to tell you this is wrestling and you're going to love it. And that's how the fans felt. So they were happy to see, uh, an alternative choice and Cena, you know, represented that, that, that same old shit, you know, from their perspective,
3: mm-hmm. Rob does the, um, speaking of awareness, like just being around him at that time, what, what, was he aware of like, what, what was he, his thought process during that time? Was he just like, Hey, like they're just showing emotions. I'm going to lean into it. Or uh, was it getting to him? Or was he just like happy to be getting a response or what, what was your, um, what, what was he thinking during that time?
2: Um, I think that he was just, Fine with it, like it is what it is, you know. Like I mentioned that I'd seen him turn uh, some crowds around that hated him. That was uh, shortly before this. Like we were we were building towards this, and so he was already at that point where he represented the era. What I just talked about. So it was um, like in Belgium and uh, in Wales, and um, there were certain certain uh, places like over there in Europe that um, they were just like so the whole everything seemed progressive you know even just all the the even the paint the paint in the arenas and the graffiti and all this stuff it just it seemed a lot more hardcore a lot more ecw friendly um than family tradition you know this was this was a a a moving culture you could see it the culture ahead of our mainstream and it, and it was represented in that way you know so um i think cena enjoyed it you know what i mean um he he enjoyed working with the crowd i think either way you know i'm um, he i can't speak for him you know i know getting cheers can be a lot more fun than getting booze um but Sometimes some of the guys don't even care or they get booze all the time. And that's what their, that's what their deal is. And so that's, that's what they want. Um, I can't, I can't say for sure, uh, but I know he knew what he was in for that night um, for the Hammerstein ballroom and he was ready for it, but I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I, didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know he was going to have the shirt throwing contest or that, you know, I, that was great. I was laughing. Cause I was like, Oh my God, that fan's doing nobody wants his shirt. And then I was just like, Man, this crowd's fucking awesome! Like that was all so real.
1: Yeah, it very much felt felt like a special moment too. Like for fans, yeah. I can only imagine what it felt like for you guys too. Jeez, yeah. Joe, yeah. I meant to ask you too. How, you were a wrestling fan growing up? Oh yeah,
3: I've, I've been a massive Mark since I was a kid. <laughs> um, grew up. Uh, I'm just super. Probably like age four or five. Start watching it, and then. Um, I go back to when I was ten. Uh, my first pay-per-view was uh, Over the Edge, nineteen ninety-eight. It was uh, mm-hmm. Stone Cold versus Dude Love, and like <laughs> that's when, like my mind imploded on myself, and like I I was hooked <laughs> like a drug. And um, yeah, so many prominent memories. Uh, I, I've told Rob this, but I remember in junior high, I was in the back of the computer lab during like science class, and I mm-hmm. was on napster i think napster that's how that's all i
1: know probably napster. And,
3: um i was uh i was downloading clips of the sabu rvd stretcher match and like i was reading about online and i was like i gotta see this and i just remember getting clips of it and like watching it in like three pixels you know on this like <laughs> crappy computer and just my mind was melting like just with the craziest stuff and so um yeah I, i've been hooked um ever since i was a kid and so um it was a huge huge dream come true i remember writing myself on my notepad like when i was 20 that i always wanted to make a wrestling documentary and so to have um headstrong come about and rob was like literally the perfect person for the project because like i mean not to blow too much smoke but rob, no pun intended but robs like, hey. wrestler you know and so like it was the perfect fit Um it was a great story. Uh I'm I'm really proud of the film. I know Rob is, and just the journey from the beginning to us making it and the years putting into it. And now even I get to I I still post clips of it on our social media and there's still new people rediscovering it. Like, um there's still clips that go viral that like people think that either it's just released or they're just now figuring it out. And so, yeah,
2: yeah. I saw some of the remarks from the fans saying, Oh, I hope you get better. <laughs>
3: and I'm like, I'll, I'll run with this as a marketing gimmick, I guess. <laughs> um, and so, you know, um, wrestling has been an integral part of my life and it's, uh, it's cool now to see it become more mainstream and more accepted. Like, for years i hid my wrestling fandom you know like it was not a cool thing to be a fan for the longest time and, uh i just started owning it at a certain point and and now like wrestling is cool so
1: um evolution has been really awesome to see uh real quick greg jacobson he also tuned into the oh you didn't know podcast hey rvd any fond memories of ecw in belmar new jersey
2: uh, yeah, yeah. So in Belmar, there was a, uh, a bar and uh, the ring was outside. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I remember, I, th- I, I, man, I think it was the Dudleys. I know me and Zabby wrestled the Dudleys there. This was either that match or might have wrestled the Eliminators there too. Uh, but we went there sometimes and, uh, it was, um, you know, the fans loved having us there, ACW fans in New Jersey. But, uh, it, you know, the outside shows are always contingent upon the, the weather. I remember when it was, like, really hot. So the canvas was really hot. So, like, it hurt. Like, a burn on this one day to, to lay on the canvas. So we're trying to wrestle, you know, and then we're laying down. It's like, oh, fuck. uh <laughs> Just just right in the sun, everything was cooking, and um, and I think of that. I think of that uh, when I think about Belmar, New Jersey. But um, it was a good part of the growth of ECW, you know, like because we were getting out of the home home building in in Philly, getting out on the road, and uh, discovering some some towns and venues were winners, and some weren't i have no idea if they made money there i assume it was a sold show that's usually how bars work as opposed to the wrestling promotion selling tickets themselves and taking a chance but who knows but i think people just stood around because like i said it was outside i think it was in the dirt i think they had like sand there if i'm not mistaken like for a volleyball um yeah i think that's what it was
1: well uh he said too. greg says bar a bar anticipation does that sound right Maybe as a location. I don't remember
2: Bar anticipation. That sounds like a strip club.
1: Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, YouTube I'll have to
2: Chris. check that one out.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. YouTube Chris provides a little factoid here. There's a match he put on your YouTube from Belmar in 1998. It was RVD and Sabu versus Chris Candio and Lance Storm in July of 98. They defended the tag titles against them. They beat them for the titles a few weeks prior. So there you go. Yeah, boom. Really Watch it on on uh, YouTube. Do a little search on rvdpod.com. Uh, cool. Cool. Um, Chris, I mean, she's <laughs> Joe, are you good? Do you have extra time or do you
3: uh... uh i got a few more minutes i uh i got my mom netflix for uh, christmas so we're gonna pound out some uh true crime documentaries
1: Ooh. but uh I, I got about 10 minutes okay <laughs> Bob, do you have any recommendations for them
2: i know i was just thinking about that like what would i <laughs> there's yeah, been, been so many
3: we've been watching a lot of like um like Mormon, uh Warren Jest
1: style, uh crazy things. Oh shit. There's that like too sweet thing or something like that. That's on We it? just
2: watched that last night. Yeah. You're We're talking about the, the the polygamy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That dude uh Ken, I think is his name, and he's got like twelve wives and twenty nine daughters, and some of them are <laughs> like a super 14, old Yeah, we just watched that as a three parter. Um no, that was on YouTube though, I think. Oh not on, yeah, it was on YouTube, not Netflix. But anyway, um on, on Netflix, the um Unsolved Mysteries.
0: Ooh. From, oh is that from, good? T-
2: from 2023. Oh, you yeah. really did it. I, October. October 2023. There's a uh an episode called um I think the episode is called dead in the dead in the hotel room and if i'm wrong it's close enough to where you're going to recognize it um i think it's dead in the hotel room um from october 2023 unsolved mysteries that's my recommendation and it's about the uh wrestling promoter here in las vegas joe <clears throat> oh wow yeah buffalo bill um and he used to run uh, the shows Uh, When I started wrestling out here, he he just switched from Buffalo Bill to T.C. Martin at the Silver Nugget Casino in 95, and uh, Buffalo Bill was still around. I remember he gave guys rides to the airport or whatever. He was a really well-known figure in Las Vegas, and uh, he had some um, confrontations with the local mafia. Oh, wow. It's very interesting. But the the mafia—they they ran Crazy Horse too, and um, and his uh, body shop, car shop, was attached to that building, Ooh. and they feuded all the time. And he would film everything they did illegal, beating up people in the parking lot, you know, prostituting in the limos, whatever. He was always turning shit into the FBI and always fighting with uh, Rick Rizzolo, who was the, the owner um, the a, a, and the mob guy. But um, this 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 would be like the movie Casino, which is like my favorite fucking movie. This would be the sequel. If there was a sequel to Casino, mm-hmm. it would include Crazy Horse 2, and all the shenanigans that went on there with Joey the Clown Lombardo's brother Rocco Granite mm-hmm. and um, Tony Spalatro's uh, brother. You know the thing is that's that's really interesting. Like all these all these gangsters like worked in the club and they did all these things. And one of them is Godfather.
3: Whoa. Oh. That's wild.
2: Yeah. He's
3: he's got some stories, I bet. Yeah,
2: and and he always says, man, sometime I'll have to tell you that, like, whenever I'm like, dude, tell me, he doesn't remember shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In in the movie um, Casino... um, the, the bad guys, they had a, uh, a robbery. They had a gang, and they went around robbing all these places, and they call themselves the hole-in-the-wall gang, and it's portrayed in the movie um, that they're, they're robbing Bertha's jewelry store um, on Sahara, and uh, and, and they would like blow a, a hole in the in the wall on the side of it and get in through that through there to bypass the alarm. And anyway, big buzz because there was an informant, you know, and the cops were already watching them and all this stuff. And they all went down. Um, one of the guys that was in the hole-of-the-wall gang, he's in the mugshots and everything, his name is uh, Joey Blasco. And Joey Blasco worked for the uh, police here in Vegas, but he got busted giving information to Tony Spolatro, the mob boss. And so he got fired. He just switched sides and then joined their gang and, and worked and stole, started stealing with the mafia. Hi,
1: baby. Hi, baby. Hi babies. What's
0: hey,
2: up, hey, guys?
1: Yeah. Hi, anyway, <mwah> Happy um, early birthday. Yeah, happy early birthday, Katie. <laughs> Thank y'all.
2: Anyway, just let me let me before you forget what I just said. This guy, Joey Blasco, um, I mentioned to him to Godfather when I was talking to him. Like, didn't Joey Blasco end up working down there? And he goes, What? You talking about Joey B? And he tells his wife, honey, he's talking about Joey B. He's like, Hell yeah, man, he was the best man at my wedding. And I'm like, <laughs> uh... the the guy that was a cop that was giving info to the mobsters and then joined the mobsters when he got fired? And Joey B, yeah, man. I'm like, tell me some stories. Oh, man. He was a good guy. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. I mean, the godfather name now makes even more sense. <laughs>
2: man, he, yeah. was, uh, he was one of the bouncers there, man. And he, would, he was one of the guys that would throw the guys out and stuff. But, but anyway um the, the that would be half of at least half of the sequel to casino would be right there crazy horse 2 it's got a great if you if you look it up online it's fascinating but that's my recommendation for netflix um joe
3: Awesome. Yeah, we're uh, we've also been talking. I think we're gonna go to the Mob Museum uh, pretty soon here too. I, I haven't been there yet, so
2: let me know. Perhaps I'll go with
1: you. Oh, be so cool. give it. You can be the tour guide, Rob. Right. <laughs> I know you are the ma- ma- master of it.
2: Right. Yeah, I used to, before I moved here. I used to hang out in the gift shop that the tour ends in, and just when people come through, I would just be like, "Did you enjoy the uh, you know?" You know <laughs> just, just to start conversations, forward and. Wanted to talk about it, and but back then, they needed help, and I really was trying to help them too. <laughs> that, that business picked up, and boom! Ever since then, you know, they I think they're doing well. From what I understand.
1: where's that located at in Vegas, Rob?
2: It's it, it's right downtown. It's the old courthouse here in uh, that they used to use in Las Vegas. So that's part of the theme is um, in the in the in the fifties there was a uh, traveling trial called the Kefauver hearings where they went around. And uh, and the Senate, uh, uh, you know, got a bunch of the mobsters together and interviewed them, and everyone pleaded the fifth, and they did that. uh, How many? They did that in, uh, I think it's at least twenty states, anyway. But and anyway, the courthouse that they did that in here in Vegas, that's the mob museum, and you in the courtroom is is set up as a courtroom, and you can go there and watch the screening of you know some of the. Footage of the uh, Kefaver hearings, you know, when you're there in the courtroom, so that's so that's pretty cool to do.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, my
3: um, one of my mom, she's in a golf league, and their their home course is the scene from Casino where the plane lands yeah. on the golf course. Yeah, that's where she plays at.
2: Well, okay, yeah, nice nationals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I looked at that house. It was for sale. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Yep. It's got like sh- seashells on the roof that the production company put up there for in the movie, and then the owner just wanted to keep them. So, so.
3: I, I need to rewatch the movie now, because now that I'm here in Vegas, it's funny to hear you say, like, on Sahara. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know, I know exactly where Sahara is. At.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally.
3: I got to rewatch it now.
1: Joe, and I watched boom. it for the first time on like when we first started recording and uh I was blown away by it. It's
3: <laughs> incredible. So I'm I'm more partial to good fellows, but Casino is right there with me.
2: Yeah, they're both very, very good. You know, those are like the, to me they're almost equal, but I like the West Coast and the and the and that flavor. So um, Would I lean like towards that. Uh, sure, man. You look awesome, baby. Thank look you. at you. Thanks. Look at my wife. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Hey, girl. Hey, happy
0: you <laughs> <the>, uh, What do <laughs> you guys do
3: to for-
1: celebrate? Oh, nice. we we're
3: in
2: the pride parade. <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> you guys know what you're gonna do for your birthday yet, Katie? I don't know. Maybe the skating
1: rink. Oh sweet. Oh, oh cool. yeah. Cool. Oh man.
3: And we can see um, from our house, we can see like a 360 view of um, fireworks. No way, a yeah. So it's cool to go up there on big holidays, and then everybody in the whole in our whole neighborhoods doing their own little private party. Plus, we can see the um,
1: fireworks from the strip. Yeah, wow. so that's something special. Jeez, how about yeah. that? So, well, uh...
0: anyway,
2: speaking of that, speaking of pride, like I was on my uh, this was a few weeks ago, but on a, a, tw- a Twitter argument you know, with, <laughs> with some dude, and um, and he, he just would not shut up. But he thinks he had such a good point kept coming back, and and uh, something about he thought I was gay bashing because I something that I tweeted, mm, um, I, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember, but, it, you know, a lot of people came forward and a lot of people mistook it and other people said that's not what he said at all. And, and but anyway, this guy kept going on and on and and uh, said something uh, about gay hating something. And I'm like, dude, you know, my uh, I said, you know, my wife has a girlfriend. Right. And then he said, oh, my God, this is what he he texted and tweet, oh, my God. He goes, you do know that the um, I know someone that's gay, so I'm not a anti-gay. doesn't work, right? You do know that, right? Please tell me you know that. Oh, my God. Tell me you know that. That was his response. And I'm like, does this, does this guy know what happens during throuple sex? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's this thing. So many people try to perpetuate something online. It's like I know. You know and, and I every say, once in a
2: while, it's once in a while I get into entertaining a little back and forth with them, and then I we usually talk about it on here.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Well, and then people are like, why do you waste your time with these people? And it is a waste of time. Some people you they're not ever gonna you're not gonna get through to them. But there's a lot of other people that read it that I might get through to that sure. either they'll enjoy it or maybe they'll learn from it from my response or whatever. Right for other people too.
3: All right, guys, I gotta get rolling here. Hey, Yo, you, anything, hey anything
2: you want to plug? Yeah, anything you want to plug?
3: Um, at Backrow Studios, if you want to follow us, we're we're posting headstrong clips like right now. So oh, um, shit. we'll be uh, yeah, and hopefully uh, Rob and I will talk about uh, future projects on a future episode too. Absolutely,
2: okay. Hey, yeah, so tell mom and OJ. I said <laughs> you, know.
3: you can explain that story when I'm off the air. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Joe awesome, Rocky, in.
3: Thank yep. you so much for this. This was a blast, and uh, happy 33 episodes.
1: Hey, thank you very much, man. Take it bye, easy. Yeah. Nice. Back anytime. Talk to you, Talk
3: to nice. you soon, Joe.
1: Bye-bye. Bye bye. All right, what's the OJ story?
2: Oh, um. I can't remember. Just I can't. I don't even say. But it's, it refers to his mom being out here, and somehow a joke materialized of her hanging out with O.J. Simpson. I can't. I can't even remember where it started. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm so hey. inside that I don't even know it anymore. <laughs> it's just
1: it's taken yeah. on life of its own. Uh
2: maybe he said she lives uh like where OJ does or something and that part of it. I don't know. I
1: don't yeah, know. yeah. Uh guys, we have like 70 people in here. Uh I do want to thank YouTube Chris for help joining in and helping. Oh, fuck. oh
0: no, no.
2: I that's the fourth drink I've spilled this week. Yeah, uh, thanks,
1: baby. Not the champagne. I
2: spilled drink, yeah. For at the Christmas party, these families I spilled. Two drinks, and I spilled one in between, but I can't remember right now uh, which one that was, but it was somewhere public, though. It, uh, I, I do that. I'm so fucking clumsy. Oh, when I was a kid, um, every fucking morning, I used to spill my orange juice. Thank you, baby. And it would piss my dad off so much, I guess because I, he thought that I must not care enough to stop doing it or to, to get better at it or whatever. But I w- wasn't on purpose, but my mom would have the orange juice already poured for me when I sit at the table um, in, before school. And for some reason, I would knock the orange juice over. And my dad, um, this was back when uh, parents could touch their kids. He used to give me a palm thrust right in my forehead. Bam! That was, that was his spanking me, like, bam, palm thrust. And I used to get that every morning because I'd spill my orange juice uh, at the table. And I'd be into my mouth. But he doesn't do it on purpose. Well, he does that every day. And I was just so clumsy. But anyway, as an adult, you can see I'm much better. Those palm thrusts really, really, they really helped a lot, Dad. Yeah, (laughs)
1: Yeah, really instilled in you to hold on to your glasses.
2: (laughs) Probably just more headbanging to add to the list of concussions. right. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, guys, if you want to get a super chat in, feel free to. Uh, Yes, uh, we had a lot of good feedback. Oh, what is that, Rob?
2: Hopefully, I didn't just put my address on there. Oh, I don't think. Or we can can. blur that out.
1: (laughs) um,
2: I'm going to try these real soon, but this is DDP's new gimmick. Oh, the power cuffs. Yep. Yep. He sent me the power cuffs. And I'm looking forward to giving them a try. I might try as early as tomorrow. I got to watch the video on it and learn up on it. But I love the the theory. I love what I understand from it, Um, and which is very little. But these are – he always talks about, remember what the Ultimate Warrior did. Oh, that's not a good – that was half Ultimate Warrior and half DDP. That was kind of like right in the middle of them, I guess. I got I I can't turn the dial either way the two okay but anyway DDP said um you know that warrior would like tie his shit so tight that it would restrict the blood flow and make all the veins pop out and, and, and that's pretty much his new system now these power cuffs uh purposely restrict your blood flow and you lift you know, a lighter weight which you know I'm all about that anyway so uh you know he uh, he's like Said, you know, you got to check your ego at the door because you won't be lifting like super heavy and uh, no problem. You know, like my workouts are a lot more designed towards that. I'm looking forward to it. And I happen to be vascular as fuck, too. You know, and so this might even help with that. Um, uh, So looking forward to to that. And he said he's added an inch on his arms like in the last, uh, I think he said, I don't know if he said a couple months or whatever, but since he's been doing this and he's like pushing 70. So that's kind of a lot. Cause he was in shape already. He wasn't someone that just started working out. You know what I mean? So anyway, these are the power cuffs and I'll keep you guys posted on it. Um, and I, and I definitely plan on trying them before we do our next show. And, and when I say trying, um, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm going to commit, I'm not just going to do like one workout and then talk about it because that's, that's, that's what he wants is for us to commit. Like, like ninety days, I think um, that's what he was wanting at first. Anyway, to in order to give it a fair try, to to see what it can do and shit. You know what I mean? Stick with the plan for a while. So I'm gonna fucking do that,
1: dude. That's nice. Yeah. I love DDPY. That's how I started doing that like twelve years ago or something like that. And it's all that dynamic resistance stuff. And your body just feels great after you do it too.
2: I love that DDP is is such a. Uh, um, a figure of health and athleticism and a, a fitness. You know, yeah. I, I just love it. I love him being that guy, the Richard Simmons of our world and industry. It's so awesome. And he's, you know, such a great guy. And he's so, he's helped so many fucking people. Right? Awesome. Yeah.
1: Very awesome. <laughs> well, cool. We'll wrap this up here pretty quick. Uh, I did. Kind of want to get some perspective on something The Undertaker was talking about. Uh, So WrestleMania 7 took place, and he actually brought up about – the Sergeant Slaughter angle with Hulk Hogan and the, the desert storm stuff that was going on at the time. And I thought his uh, he was talking about how Sergeant Slaughter got like death threats and stuff like that. So kind of want to get your perspective on this too. So obviously the more personal you can make a wrestling angle, the better it's going to be. And if you throw championships on top of all that, it really makes it even more compelling. But I mean, personal rivalries were always the best and this is this we're at war. So this was a bold move to do this, to do this angle. And he said he was always, Sergeant Slaughter was always talking about getting death threats, people threatening him and how you could do that to our country. It's just like, come on, man. It's pretty good, man. If you have to say, honestly, it took for at the time period for someone for Sergeant Slaughter's character, his career and his gimmick, everything else to do that. It was a bold move, a real bold move. Rob, what do you, do you remember that kind of affecting you at all too, uh, starting off early in the business, that whole storyline? I don't think that that
2: affected me or I don't remember how that it did i i don't see how it how how it could have but are you was this this was sergeant slaughter turning heel
1: heel yeah and joining up chic and then that whole aspect or the the iron Sheik, obviously and then him uh going and like them having to change venues and all that stuff when it came to like you
2: know, bomb yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, as far as my thoughts on it, I mean, you said it right there when you said the sheik, you know, he made his career by being an anti American, and um, you know, we've always uh, seems like been at war over oil with the people that live in the desert that wear towels on their heads, you know, and the sheik became the epitome and embodied that, that character so much that you know, people would never hear him speak English in his whole career, and and he was so scary, and that was the heat that he got, and I don't know how much of it was exaggerated, but he told us that he had been um, banned from towns, you know, including New York City. He told us uh, when he trained us that he was banned for uh, I think two lifetimes from New York City. Now that could have been some cap, as Katie taught me means i guess exaggerating um but that is what he taught us when he was when he was training us and and i know that he did get that that kind of a heat you know he would wrestle back then baby faces like bob Backlund, for instance in detroit and everyone would be behind bob like he was like he like he represented them because chic was that guy he was that heat so as far as me and my thoughts on whether the Iron Sheik and 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 Sarge pushed the envelope too much or or crossed any lines or whatever. It's just that's just what it is. When we have heat with the Russians, Nikolai Volkov, you know uh, Ivan Koloff, Boris Zukov, uh It's it's just the way that it's wrestling now. As I end up saying every week, is becoming this safe for work environment, it's becoming um, an equal opportunity employing corporate kind of place, and it used to be a good old boy's closed door behind the door's secret society, and and it was always very stereotypical um, in that way that you had somebody representing each ethnicity to, uh, to draw those people, but also to draw heat.
1: Right, right. Uh, and you look at nowadays too, you have uh, guys that are kind of standing out a little bit more and trying to break that convention too, like a Mustafa Ali who's who's kind of, uh, he's now a free agent out of WWE and he's kind of making his own way. And like cr- trying to break that notion of like, oh, there's the foreign heel or anything like that going on. And it's a, it's a very different aspect of things. Um, but uh, Smiley Garner chimes in again. Did you ever want to be in CZW, Rob? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't think so. I mean, did not yeah. think so. Uh,
2: I'm not even exactly sure what what that is. I think that that CZW, I think was the group that was across the river when we were running ECW. Okay, yeah,
0: so
1: yeah, they were. My right. boo would
2: work for them and work for both. Dennis Caruso, I think, was a promoter.
1: Yeah, Dennis Carluzzo Is that him? Coraluzzo. Yeah, I think it might have been. YouTube Chris. Chris might know, um, but yeah, no, that was a. It's a. They did a little bit more deathmatch kind of stuff. I know. I know. Uh, John Moxie got his a big part of his start there and everything. And yeah, yeah. definitely a different different kind. Of- a, and I
2: I always have been and still am. You know about about the uh, the booking is about the business end of it anyway. You know what I mean? So like I don't know why people think that I would want to go somewhere for any other reason to travel away from home and to wrestle because I love the business, you know, and so I'm, so I'm going to work for uh, a 10th of, of my fee because that's a, it'll be fun. No, no, that's not, it's, it's my job. It's what I do, you know? And so it's always been about that too. So I'm not saying I wouldn't have wrestled for CZW if they would have wanted to book me and it would have worked things out. I don't, Remember actually ever talking to them firsthand? Anyway, just a little chatter like, yeah, I think they want to bring you in, but it was heat with these with Paul already, and and it was so long ago I don't really remember. But I don't I don't think that I uh, wanted to <laughs> specifically wrestle for them, and I don't think that um, any um, bookings were on the table that I can remember. But it's a long time ago. So if YouTube Chris says bullshit, you wrestled Balls Mahoney for CZW right here, I got the proof, then uh, my bad.
1: (laughs) My bad, my bad.
2: It's possible. (laughs) Mm.
1: Mm. Well, cool. We'll finish it up with this. Uh, There's news that just kind of broke that um, Sasha Banks seems to be uh, uh, now Mercedes Monet. She's kind of moving on and trademarking some names more related to Monet, so kind of indicating that maybe she's not resetting gonna sign again with WWE. I kind of we talked about women's wrestling last week and she's always been a prominent name here and kind of like the evolution of women's wrestling. Kind of wanted to you get your thoughts on Mercedes Monet and everything like that. Uh have you interacted with her before? And um yeah what are your overall thoughts on her?
2: Uh I think she's awesome and uh I mean super super nice you know when uh when I talk to her and stuff but uh, I was a fan of hers when I just watched her work. She was one of the frontline women that in my mind helped change the whole, the whole playing field from women wrestling being something that it was okay to not be the best. And and then it changed to where it's, where it's competitive. Um, it could compete with the men's on a, um, on whatever you judge a match by, you know what I mean. So it's like I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that. As I've said, you know, I'd rather watch women wrestle actually, and um, a lot of them are really great looking too, you know. And um, so uh, I, I'm happy that it's come as far as it has, and uh, Sasha Sh- is one of the wrestlers that I think of that was on that, on that forefront when I saw it changing into like, Holy crap. Like these these girls are having like a really good match and they're all really talented. And, you know, they look like they, like, like they know what they're doing. And, um, you know, it used to not be so much that way. Like it used to be what someone said, you hit like a girl. That's because girls, you know, it kind of hit funny. And it used to be that we only do that again. It used to be that, um, girls kind of did everything a little funny or a little different when it came to wrestling and that was just accepted and they threw that out the window during uh the the sasha banks era in my opinion
1: yeah no doubt about it and i you know somebody that always gets credit for helping out the women wrestlers a lot is fit finley i know and so uh and he's kind of helped perpetuate that notion of like adding legitimacy to those those kind of matches and bringing, bringing that more to the forefront. So it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, we talked about it last weekend. It's, it's definitely a fascinating aspect where, you don't. and to Sasha Banks, like you think about uh, the match with her and Bailey at like NXT takeover Brooklyn is such a huge takeaway match. People always praise that one. So yeah, she's definitely a, a pioneer, so to speak on that. So, all right, Rob, it's that time again. It's time to wrap it up we need music
2: we need music where's my everyday music.
1: music i'm concerned though my issue is i don't want to get a copyright flag so i got to try to figure out to get your music
2: christianator music yeah. i got it. i got it. i got to remember that to to send it. okay send it no yeah
1: <laughs> so, what do you got
2: <laughs> so you know we talked today um about headstrong if you haven't seen it it's on amazon documentary that Joe Clark and I put together. And, you know, originally it was going to be uh, about me doing a stand-up comedy tour. It was going to showcase me on stage, that that side of me. And in the end, you know, it ended up following me and my adventures uh, through uh Dealing with concussion symptoms. And so, um, in the very end, uh, you know, I, I had to make a lot of editing decisions. Like, I didn't feel I filmed a lot of stuff that I didn't think I would use talking about the concussion stuff just in case. I wanted to be open about it. But the reason I didn't want to be that open about it was just the same reason that I always haven't been open about being hurt or being injured. That's just what people like me do, you know. And so uh, I have these discussions with Joe where I was saying, you know, if if we do something and expose that I had these concussion symptoms then I know. That the fans, some of the fans are always going to connect that. And I already, uh, you know, my ego wants to think that it's tough. Uh, and I have issues with people feeling sorry for me, you know what I mean? And, and, and I, I, I was telling Joe, I don't want people for the rest of my life saying, well, "How how's your head feeling? Are, are you better?" and 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 so I was really against it. I was going back and forth, you know, and but. Thing is, I had double vision, and I had to get uh, uh, MRIs and cast scans, and fucking had to do vision therapy, and had to uh, go through all kinds of uh, uh, for a, lo- a lot of vision therapy, by the way, and a, uh, a, a lot of things that took better part of two years to overcome. And it became, like, so important, uh, such a big part of my life, and we captured so much of it on film that I decided in the end to go ahead and expose that vulnerability knowing it wasn't going to be the best for my image, right? And we've talked about image before. Now, for a lot of people, RVD is just an image. So for them, they think they could do me better oh if he just if he just wouldn't have had any uh damn weed on him when he was the champion you know Or someone said if he just could wait till he got to the hotel to smoke i wasn't smoking idiot anyway i don't want to lose you um, a lot of people you know think man if i had you know these talent you know what i could do with it and and you know that, that's cool, you know, live vicariously through through us, and, and that's awesome. But uh, in reality, we all have choices, and we all make different choices, and it's always based on our own values. And so for my image, I could have left all the concussion footage on the floor, and I could have not talked about it, and I could have went with the original plan on the documentary, trying to showcase something else entirely, a different talent. But even though I knew that some fans were going to always be thinking about what they learn and seeing me more vulnerable, I'm not Superman, I, I, went, I chose to go with option B. Even though I really wanted to option see some titties in the strip club. So, um, we put it out and I learned, uh, right away from people. They were telling me that it helped them and they were saying, you know, seeing you go through your struggles and overcoming them helped me with my problems. And, and, and I wasn't expecting that I was hoping that it could help some people, but the feedback that I got was unexpected. And, and so in the end, even though, uh, people just last week, saw a clip of headstrong that Joe put on there and a bunch of them wrote RVD. It's sad to see, man, but you know, I hope, I hope you get better or, you know, or Hey, you know, you shouldn't be wrestling anyway. You know what? Anyway, they thought it was fresh news. Um, cause I guess, you know, we're that much out of touch cause I had my head side shaved and had the 2017, uh, look on, but, Anyway, even though I'm going to be seen in this vulnerable, unpreferred light, I made the choice and I don't regret the choice. It was my choice to make. We all have choices and it's helped a lot of people. It was very much like... In 97, 98, when I did the High Times Magazine interview, and Tracy's mother said, Hey, man, you're going to put a target on your back, man. I was like, Dude, it's just fucking marijuana. People need to, people need to learn. It's not that dangerous drug that we're taught anymore. And, and he said, No, man, they're going to be checking you at the airport everywhere. Just, just do your own thing and just do it in the dark. You know what I mean? Just kayfabe. So it was similar because I made the choice. Although a lot of people are just going to associate me with marijuana for the rest of my life, and some people are so stupid. Well, sorry, stupid people. I don't want to start insulting you. Some of the basic thinkers will forever, for the rest of their lives, see me as a stoner who's just blazed all the time and not see past that because that's what marijuana means to them. I chose to be open about it, use my image, my spotlight to draw attention to something that I cared about. And here we are now in 2023, looking at most of the country, very little, um, doesn't have a legalized uh, marijuana program. But uh, regardless of that, I know I helped a lot of people, people that use cannabis and it's helped them and they wouldn't have used it without hearing me talk about it. That's the feedback that I get that's similar to talking about the concussions. See, I made that choice. I made that choice. A lot of people wouldn't. A lot of people would have said, Hey, he just needs to shut up about his weed. He'd be the world champion still today. You would maybe make that choice, but I made a different choice. And We always, always, always have choices. Um, When we were making editing choices on Headstrong, it took a long time. Me and Joe went back and forth. We didn't agree on everything real smoothly, and we both compromised to get it done. But uh, one of the things that we would often run into is I would always tell Joe, never, never underestimate how stupid people are. And he say, ah, I don't think you need to hit him on the head with it. No, you do. You need to hit him on the head with it, with a poster, with bold text says exactly what you want them to get out of it, or they're not going to get it. One time we were referring to the news at the end of Headstrong that I get that I don't have CTE. I actually got it from three different doctors, but I think two of them are on film, and and we have one doctor looking at the MRIs and telling me there's no CTA, there's no abnormalities. This is good news. And I was telling Joe we need to put it in text as well. We, no, he's like, no, come on, man, let's move past that because we've been working on it way past the deadline. I was like, they're not gonna get it, dude. You need to put the, <laughs> we need to have it. And I and I I stood strong on it we need to put the text the dialogue of what they're saying when they say that i don't have cte or everyone's going to miss it and i think i mentioned it at the end too when i'm doing the wrap-up doctor said i don't have cte so that's good still with all of that people miss it i hear from people all the time they think i have cte anyway Never underestimate how stupid basic thinkers can be. But what I'm talking about here is choices. And I want to tell you, there's always choices. You may not like the choices that you have, but don't let people make you feel like there's no choice. And here's what basic thinkers will do. I'm going to give you a, uh, a tool to use right here. Something to look for. This is what basic thinkers Will try to get over on you with, and they will try to sound like they're smart. And really, it's just because they would have made a different choice than you, right? Have you ever heard this? Did you have to call him that? Hey, uh, hey, Greg, you're stinky. <laughs> Did you have to call him that? No. What made you think I had to do that? Why are you taking my choices away? I chose to call him that. And now you're telling me that you wouldn't have chose to call him that? Okay, but why do you got to say it like that? Like, because you're a basic thinker. And because they think that they're smarter than you. Did you have to put that TV show on right now? No, nobody was forcing me to. Nobody had a gun to my head and, and said to put that on. Are you really asking me that? What made you think that I felt like I had to do that? You know, throw that right back onto those motherfuckers when they hit you with that shit. Because it don't make sense when you think about what they're really saying. They're trying to limit you and make you feel stupid just because they would have chosen something else. You know, did we have to come here tonight? We were not forced to. No, I chose to. I mean, you know, that. why not just say you would have rather gone somewhere else or something? basic thinkers trying to take your choice away and you know what you always have a choice remember that you may not like all your choices but think about what your choices are we kind of talked about this a little bit before when we talked about options you always have options guess what same shit. so anyway do you have to use that kind of language Claro que no. Yo puedo hablar español. I hope you get the point. That's what I want to talk about, and uh, try to make it a good choice. And uh, happy New Year, everybody!
1: It's a good one, Rob. It's a good one. Way to close out the year, right here, is that one? So uh, yes, we all have choices, and you have a. You guys are making the choice of partying down on New Year's Eve to celebrate Katie's birthday. So there you go.
2: Yes. Yeah, better, uh, better get my mind going on that. That's coming up quick.
1: Yep, yep. And try not to spill some champagne, though. Right.
2: I'll try my best. Try not to. No guarantees. All right, thanks, Dom.
1: All right, guys. It's Thank been a good episode. Thanks, yep.
2: Joseph, Clarky, Betafuku.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, you guys, for joining in. Everybody that chimed in with the Super Chats, we had Smiley, we had BBDC, uh, Greg, and Smiley again, plus everybody else that joined in, my buddy, Paul Bowlers. And
2: stinky. I- we stinky. had stinky
1: we had stinky here we had you have
2: to call him that
1: i didn't have to no
2: just listen for that. that try to be aware when someone asks you that question I'm try to gonna... be aware and be like aha mm. i'll
1: spit it back you're around.
2: i'm above that rise that's above i'm right, saying i would want you to rise
1: above I do exactly too. rise above the hate yes. hey thank you youtube chris he you did a great job here for his first time producing the show so it's been a good time Oh. Right on, man. See you next week. See you next week, guys. Here on one of a kind with RV. I got some
2: girls to tend to. <laughs> I was waiting for some kind of
0: sign, some kind of indication. I was wasting my time. I got myself about the basement. I faked it long enough to say I'm. I was patient, I put up a fight I kept saying to myself, oh the future is bright I confronted everything and I was